Hello and welcome back to another Hero Ball Podcast. Today I'm joined by my buddy Elkin. We'll have Richard on a little bit later for a unique little thing. But Elkin, uh, there was a little kerfluffle in the NBA this last week. Uh, you want to tell me some details about it? Uh, it just so happens in the Warriors versus Wizards game, shot goes up. And those of you who don't know where to talk, you can look this up. YouTube, there's plenty of clips, plenty of angles. As the shot goes up, you see Draymond Green kind of box out of Mr. Bradley Beal. As he's boxing him out, next thing you know it, the camera kind of zooms away, and then it zooms back into them. And you find them kind of just hugging, quote-unquote, and end up in the crowd. From what the replays show us of this, quote-unquote, scuffle, it looked more like the two of them were just hugging each other because they're both holding on to their jerseys, and they're just holding on. And Ethan, let's be real, in the NBA, no one really wants to throw a punch because they know if you break that hand, that's your livelihood right there. Mm-hmm. So everyone, I think in the words of one of our, uh, another fellow basketball podcast or sports podcast with Jalen Jacoby, it means there's a lot of hold me back moments. Everyone's waiting for the ref to step in, but there's no way a five foot 10 ref is really going to stop a guy who's like six, six or six, seven, if we're being honest. But oh. yeah, eventually their tussle spilled into the crowd. Uh, Kelly Uber accidentally punched John Wall and may have hit someone else there in all of this, but no one was suspended. No, I just saw a bunch of fines going. Well, sorry, two people were suspended coming off the Wizards bench. We had two guys suspended. But at the end of all this, Ethan, Draymond Green said, Hot can't let a guy hit me twice without getting him back. That's the thing. He's like, and then he went on to also say, how did I get fined? And I was the one who got hit first. So as we see here, Mr. Draymond Green is playing victim. Does he have a case here, Ethan, or is there something more than meets the eye besides Mr. Green being a victim? Well, while Draymond maybe didn't deserve a fine as hefty, I haven't actually looked at the numbers and who got fined the most or whatever, and maybe he's got an argument there. But the thing about Draymond Green is he's he's doing a whole lot of like that they're targeting me, that they're looking to get me in trouble. And all I can say is there's not a single player that comes to mind in my brain in the entire NBA that complains about fouls, complains about not no calls, um, you know, Draymond Green, as much as I've said, like the guy has the, the goods as a, you know, tr- uh, third, fourth level player on a team. He's going to make you really, really good because he's, he plays he plays hard defense. He plays great defense. And he's, his versatility offensively can get into any offensive system you want if he's not asked to be the main guy. Mm-hmm. But the dude doesn't have a case here. The guy, he's like, well, they ejected me. How did they do this? You, you were in a fight. Like, it wasn't a real fight, but you're in a fight and you had a technical from earlier. Of course you get ejected. That's how this thing works. Either way, I mean, he would have gotten, gotten the second technical, even if he wouldn't have done If I mean, he did something, and you're out. Second technical. And from what I've seen on various replays, for me, I'm like, Draymond, you may have a case in this one, but something you and I always think about is, Eventually, if you complain to the refs, if you're constantly nagging them, refs are going to say, you know what, you're, we know you're this type of player, so we're probably not going to go, we're not going to err on your side of things or your point of view. It's hard for them to do that. And you see a lot of times with players who complain, players who are constantly bickering, they rarely get the benefit of a doubt from the referee or from the media, to be exact. And I think that's what happened with Draymond, because a lot of times he's the agitator. You can go all the way back to various series, a lot of the stuff he did with the kicks here and there. It's hard to believe that he's the victim. But I understand, like, what you said is, you're right. He shouldn't have gotten put into that quote-unquote fight. But I don't think he's guiltless as well. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not here to slander Draymond Green because I, I know I do that enough already. <laughs> I think. I think what it comes down to for me is like the guy. Like he runs his mouth a lot, and while that can energize a team and energize a squad, uh, you know the refs are humans too, and they are not to be treated with that flagrant amount of disrespect that he always does, and I, I will say always. So you know, it just comes down to me. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for him. You know, he puts himself in that situation by his behaviors in the, in the past. Like I mean, when it comes down to it, it's just it's just arguing calls, but like. You, you can't get frustrated when it, you know, the, the calls go against you, and like, because you argue all the time. Uh, you're definitely right. And then that brings us to our topic. So today we're going to be discussing two teams. The first one we mentioned a little bit is the Wizards, and the second one is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now with the Wizards, we touched upon a player outside of his scuffle, though, outside of what happened with Mr. Bradley Beal. We think right now he has one of the biggest roles, one of the biggest hands in how far the Wizards are getting this year. Ethan, what are you expecting from Bradley Beal this year and how he can push the Wizards maybe to the next step? Well, I, I think Bradley Beal, as much as uh, John Wall will always be the, the leader of this team because he's a point guard and he's also just probably a better talent overall than a Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal needs to be the biggest volume scorer for this team and enable John Wall to choose his spots and like focus more in the close games on getting some shots for himself. Bradley Beal has the unique ability to shoot and drive to the hoop. I think he's a little contact averse, which that would help if he could get better at the, uh, as Nate Duncan likes to phrase it, the dark arts of drawing fouls. And uh, if he could get a little bit more uh, free throw attempts, I think that would be greatly beneficial. But what, I, what I'm looking for Bradley Beal is to continue to be a solid defender. Just, you know, m mind your man. But what his he needs to be the, the leading scorer on this team, in my opinion. Yeah, and for me, what I always see it as is if John Wall is scoring, then the Wizards are in trouble. That's what I've seen. If John Wall has to put up 30-40, that means he's using most of his energy on that. But most of the Wizards, I feel like a lot of their, most, their biggest wins, their wins against better teams when John Wall is he's active. He's going to get points, but he's setting everyone else up. And you can notice it. And, I mean, you watch plenty of Wizards games. When he's active doing that, that's better. And for me, when Bradley Beal is out there and he's dropping points, he's getting buckets, that's when he becomes just – I think that's when that backcourt for me it makes him one of the best backcourts in the NBA. And if he keeps if for me, Bradley Beal keeps it up. And one thing I noticed with his free throw trend, it is getting up. It's the beginning of the season. He has definitely gotten it up. Sometimes I worry because of how injury prone he was, not last season, but maybe the couple seasons before, he might be a little bit adverse to going into the lane as much. That's some that's one thing I did have in mind. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, you obviously don't want to be getting hurt. And if you're someone who has injured various parts of your body, going into contact or even in non-contact stuff, it's always uh, a scary thing to go up into the air in a crowd of a crowd of people. And that's why I, I, I think about James Harden and the way he's able to draw so many fouls, not just the, the floppy on the perimeter jump shoot shot fouls, which we are luckily the NBA is working on taking those out of the game, but it's about the whole like trapping arms and like you know going up and get getting the contact. Like as much as I don't like it, I do think foul drawing culture is a plague. That's how the the league works, and you know you got to learn how to do it. Oh no, definitely you have to you have to get there. I mean, some of the best players get there around ten times. I would say not ten times, maybe five or six times a game, getting up ten attempts. 
And if you're a good, decent free throw shooter, you're getting almost 10 points at the line per game. And that's something that for me, I'm just like, why not get those free points? That's also another thing for a player like, I always think of a player like Paul George. If you look back to Paul George free throw attempts for a player who is a sla- who slashed as much as he did, he didn't get to the foul line that much, which I felt like took away possibly between five to like seven points that he could have had more per game. But that's another story for another day. But here's my worry, though, Ethan. We're, we're getting a little bit high in the words. We're talking about John Wall and Bradley Beal. But I'm still a little bit worried. I'm a little bit worried about their bench still. They have I, – I think I think they have improved, but I'm still worried about what product am I getting. So what what am I getting What am I getting out of that bench, especially – and I know things will kind of change when Marquise comes back, but what am I getting out of them? Well, right now, I think the only real bench players are uh, Frazier and Yamahimi. Tim Frazier, the, uh, the point guard that's spent most of his career in uh, New Orleans, coming over to the, the Wizards in a trade for a draft pick that turned into Frank Jackson – um, Frazier, I think is, you know, he's, he's I think he's going to have the career of a, uh, just a professional point guard. He's not ever probably going to want to be a starter. He's not even probably as good as a Corey Joseph in terms of can move to starter to back up a little bit more freely. Corey Joseph, mm-hmm. by the way, sneaky young, 25 years old. I never would have thought it anyway. So uh, Tim Frazier, like I like him in his role here with the Wizards. I still think he's probably not as good as he probably needs to be for them to have a really good bench. Yep. But he's there for bench consistency. Because as much as I love Brandon Jennings and I have a thing for left-handed boneheads, uh, Brandon Jennings is a very inconsistent player in his last couple of stops in the NBA. While I love him, Frazier, you know what you're going to get. He's a decent shooter, good pick-and-roll ball handler, and just keeps the ball moving. When Oubre gets back into the, that bench unit, I think this team could take a pretty good step in that direction. Yeah, and that's something that I'm looking at when that all happens. And I'm thinking about the other person you mentioned, uh, Jan Mahini. As we know, the 64 dealing million dollar man uh, played a whopping 31 games after signing with the Wizards. Not a great pickup, but he's not going to give you a. His averages are not going to be great. It's not going to be amazing off the wall. But Ethan, you probably got a chance to see some of their games. When he's healthy, for me, I think Jan Mahini can actually provide a very uh, positive defensive president on that team when he's healthy. And that's the problem. Besides him getting the occasional shot blocking, I don't see much out of him. What else are you getting out of him, though? You have a guy who's, who's another big body, but what else are you getting out of him? But then I told myself, let me look down the Wizards roster, right? There are more than two players who are going to be bench players. Let's take out Kelly Uber out of the equation. Besides those three guys we named, we have Jason Smith. Huh. And we have... And help me with the name of Tomas Sadoransky. Yeah, Tomas Sadoransky. We have him. We have Sheldon Mack, not the one from not the one from Butler, but another one from University of Miami. Then there's Mike Scott, Mr. Emoji Tattoos. I like him. Jody Meeks, Kentucky's finest. Uh Carrick Felix, another he's only had one year of experience. And then two rookies, Devin Robinson and Michael Young, who probably aren't even gonna play. Or touch yeah, the floor unless there's those names at all. Unless there's 20 seconds left in a blowout. Um, so who can I? So if I have a bench unit, say I have a five for a bench unit, who am I putting out on the floor if it's all bench players? Who do I put out? Oh, it's are we? Are, if we're including Ubre, it's going to be mm-hmm. it's going to be Frazier, Meeks, Ubre, Scott, and Mahimi. Like I think that's that's a that's that's what it is. Sandoransky, maybe uh, if you want to go a little smaller, you take out yeah. 
you take out Scott, move Ubre down, and play Sadoransky because he's like a six-six point guard. Mm-hmm. But his, his shooting really isn't that much of an advantageous skill, to be honest. And and how my so then how do we compare with the other benches then? Because I'm still kind of shaky on that bench. I if I if the Wizards have a ten point lead, the starters have a ten point lead. When the starters come back in, where would the lead be at? I mean, like against law teams, it's going to be worse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I I like to think of Miami as a team that has a really good bench, but it's primarily because we don't have an incredibly amazing mm-hmm. starting five. Like we have a solid starting five, and we have a really good bench because the bench could be yeah. a starting five, and I think that's what um what most good teams are able to do. But you know, usually they have you know at least a star player, which in Miami's case they don't. Um, something now this is, you know, something I am too close to the situation to really be a viable resource for, but I think this bench unit needs a ISO score. Um, I think you always need one. Um, you know, some people talk about Jamal Crawford as a guy who uh, gets (laughs) gets up a lot of shots and, uh, doesn't do a whole lot for efficiency purposes, but there's another Crawford a Jordan Crawford who was released by the Pelicans Mm. and I, why not? I am biased. He is a Xavier uh, a product after uh, leaving IU in the Calvin Sampson uh, debacle. But he uh, he can shoot. He's been a facilitator, and this stops with the Celtics and Warriors. Mm-hmm. He's probably not what you want out of out of a bench player because he's probably going to like play well enough that he's going to demand some like you know crunch time minutes, and he's terrible on defense. But if you could get him in a ten minute clip. You know, especially if you're trying to stagger Beal and Wall, if there's mm-hmm. any time that you don't have one of those guys on the court, you need someone who can get their own shot. And Jordan Crawford, regardless of what you think about him, he can do that. And he is a free agent now. Someone go get him. And you're right. Like I don't see. I mean, Jody Meeks, he's gonna get. He's gonna get his shots up. He's always known. But besides him shooting three point, if he's not out on three point line, Jody Meeks can't give you much. And Frazier's never been one to really go out there and score points besides one season with New Orleans where he scored 13 points a game. That could actually have an impact, but then I think how they're going to fit him into the rotation because – but if you need score, man, if you can score in the NBA and you add that, they're going to make space for him in the rotation. Yeah, As, and maybe, always, he's, maybe he's not the best fit for Washington, but that's yeah. what we're talking about today, and I'm, I'm looking for a job for my boy. Mm-hmm. But, like, I look at this team, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe if you slid Jody Meeks down – like, if you went small – all of a sudden, instead of Sadoransky, you have mm-hmm. jo- Jordan Crawford in there, who's a pretty good creator and definitely a decent scorer. All of a sudden, you got a, a, an offense that can actually, you know, maybe be a little explosive, especially if Ubre is able to slash really well. Yeah. So looking at the Wizards, they're right now they're four and two, no Markeith Morris. Starting, they're starting Kelly Ubre. When Markeith Morris comes back, do you think the Wizards are going to stay at this pace? You know, right now they're they have, I mean. They have about a six sixty-six percent winning percentage. What's going to happen when Markeith Morris comes back? Will it mess up Uber? Will Uber digress as a player, or will that just help them out on the bench? What's happening? I, I don't think there's a whole lot of a hiccup. Markeith plays pretty well with John Wall, and I think Uber plays plays a similar role no matter what he's doing and who he's playing with. He's a mainly a, a two dribble guy and get rid of it. If he can't do something with two dribbles, he needs to get rid of the ball. And that's, I feel like that's what he's doing now, and that's what he'll continue to do if he's on the bench. Which, you know, that's why I'm saying you might need a, another creator for the bench if you're going to run an actual bench unit. 
So um, I don't think Marquise Root messes anything up. I think he only helps because Cortat, as much as I like him as a player, I think he's you know he's he's someone who's fading at, with all athleticism attributes. So if Marquise gets in there, the defensive rebounding prize a little bit better. Even if it's uh, still John Wall coming in and grabbing the boards, it's just an, an extra body in there boxing out, making sure you finish off the possessions. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. And I, I was thinking about what you were saying as far as as far as Marquise, and like from what I've seen, especially from him last season, I think he is a good fit for that starting lineup. And I just keep thinking. I mean, of course, he provides you all the points. We talked about that. Now, looking at this though, whose production or whose improvement have you? would you consider it better? Who's really grown? Who's grown more for you, Kelly Oubre or Otto Porter this season? Well, I don't know if Otto Porter has grown all that much because mm -hmm. I think he's just getting a little higher volume. I look at him as a guy who who made some steps last year and now is just getting gifted more more opportunities with the steps he made. So I like the way Oubre is uh, has developed in terms of a little bit more confident of a score. He's he's not hesitating to shoot like he has in the past. I think Porter's more of a, okay, I've established myself. I'm the guy I was supposed to be coming out of college, you know, catch and shoot, couple dribbles in, all that kind of stuff. Good defender. Whereas Uber, he's still making strides to be the next auto Porter, hopefully, and maybe he'll just get a little faster because, you know, he's not in the, his final year of his contract yet. So I, I like what he's done. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just had to, I just had to check out just to see what you thought about those two. Um, I do have one question for you. Mm -hmm. This always gets thrown out in rumors. Is there any way that Wizards could ever get a package together to join up John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins on one team? Or another question would be is, would you give up Bradley Beal for DeMarcus Cousins? Those are the two questions I pose for you. I mean, the thing about that that move is is that is, I think if you're giving up Beal for DeMarcus straight, mm -hmm. that is a lateral move. Ooh, Not explain, explain. Because I just I still think DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, I guess I'll say it this way: DeMarcus Cousins better better talent. Team has more upside, but he's also on a one year contract, Ooh. and DeMarcus Cousins has not been one to necessarily trust with his decision making on what what mm -hmm. he's going to do because yeah i mean i just if i'm if i'm the wizards i don't throw away my four years more of commitment i have for bradley beal versus for one year demarcus i'm looking as much as i love auto porter i'm looking at him as salary filler or even if you could swindle the pelicans and send out mahimi i mean that'd be a, a godsend uh the pelicans will trade you omar i seek for mahimi that's the trade they're going to put on there. I'm just kidding. That's that would never deal. happen. You would do it? I mean, I'd do it because that's – I think Omar Ashiko only has two more years. I mean, Hemi's got three. Oh. I, I think what it comes down to is if, if the Wizards are going to make a move for DeMarcus, I think it's going to have to be in the upcoming offseason, and that's mm -hmm. where it's going to be interesting to see – if there can be a Gortat moving, if there can be a Mahimi moving, and I don't, I, I had to look at more of their contracts. But if one of those guys get moved, all of a sudden this this thing looks possible. But mm -hmm. I just, I honestly don't think unless the Pelicans just are awful. Because right now, when Anthony Davis and Demarcus play together, they are pretty good. Yeah. Unless the, this team just falls apart, I actually don't know if Demarcus is going to get traded. But what do you think that put? If they were to, if they were to get Demarcus, Bradley Beal. And John Wall, three. How would that put them as far as the standing for you in the East? 
I think that's a team that can beat a LeBron James team. I mm. think they can. Ooh. I'm not saying they will. I think they Ooh. can. I mean, why not? We don't have to get LeBron the finals every year. I mean, I to- love it, but I, I love John Wall too. So, I mean, mm. well, the last thing I want to touch on with this team before we move on is – I just want to mention really quickly that the only the Wizards defenders that are actually good defenders, I'm yeah. going to limit it yeah. to John Wall, Ubre, and Porter. I put Beal and Yamahimi as honorable mentions, along with maybe Gortat, but everyone else yeah. is not good def- at defense. And I just want to mention that as a problem to watch for the listeners to look look at when you're looking at this Wizards team because a lot of those players are getting roasted. Even John Wall gets roasted because he sometimes doesn't care. So, like, when I'm looking at all these things, like, that's something to look for, look at when you come to these playoff series against mm-hmm. the Toronto, against the Celtics, against the Heat, any of these teams. Because, you know, if a, a guy like Deion Waiters is being is able to get to the rim, you know, without a whole lot of resistance, all of a sudden the Heat are looking like a really good team. Or a yep. team like Charlotte, if, you know, if they can't keep Dwight Howard off the uh, offensive glass and he's eating up Gortat and – and Mahimi, that's a problem too. Like, there's a lot of lower level teams that don't have the top talent of, of the Wizards. That could be a little scary for them in a playoff series mm. if their defense doesn't get better. Oh, I feel you on that one. Definitely, definitely a good point. Now, switching over to the other team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, recipients of Jimmy Butler in the offseason. A lot of people had high hopes for this team, Ethan. Mm-hmm. But those who have been watching the NBA, keep it with the Timberwolves. I think we're uh, we're heading the opposite direction. Up is not the place we're heading, but we are heading down, down, down. What's going on with the Wolves? What do you think is going on? And I know with the whole situation with Jimmy Butler right now, minus Jimmy Butler, but what's what's going on with them? Well, let's keep in mind that as much as bad as they've looked in some games, they're still three and three, right? Uh, that is true. I'll give you that. They're still three and three, so the sky is not completely falling. Like and the t- they beat a team that's technically supposed to be pretty good in the OKC Thunder, and I do think they are good. I mean, the, the toughest thing is uh, without Jimmy Butler, this is still a very bad team, as they were the last year. Man, and what are you like? I'm looking at them. I'm looking at what, what are, I'm looking at the stats from last year, comparing with this year. Looking at defensive rating, offensive rating. Right now, like, their defensive stats starting off is just bottom of essentially for – we're looking at almost every defensive. They're, they're below the bottom in all these stats. Mm-hmm. Their defense, I mean, there's something let, – let's hit upon the defense. I know there's so much we want to talk about them. But right now their defense just sucks. And I'm thinking, is Thibs on the team? Is he coaching? What's going on? And then I'm trying to look at the pieces. Well, go ahead. speaking of Coach Tibbs – I oh. have a little theory I'd like to throw out here. Throw it out there, man. Just throw it out. I'm not sure that Coach Tibbs is a good coach anymore. And the reason I say this is the NBA has changed a lot since the Celtics won the championship in 2008 where he was the defensive master. I like where this is going. And not to mention the NBA has changed a lot. I have yet to see Coach Tibbs groom a defensive stalwart. I look at Kevin Garnett, the backbone of his defense in Boston, was a great defensive player before he ever got his hands on him. I look at a Joakim Noah, who came into the league as his only strength being on the defensive end. That's right. Both those are the backbones of his two defensive teams that were really good defensively. Mm -hmm. 
My the, the the reason I'm suggesting this, and I don't watch enough basketball or know enough about basketball to definitively say that Coach Tibbs stinks. But if you have a guy who is as physically talented as Carl Anthony Towns and has all the offensive instincts of Carl Anthony Towns and all the physical attributes of a Carl Anthony Towns, why is he not better at defense by now? And that's something that that's something that gets me too. I mean, watching Carl Anthony Towns in college. I felt like one of the things was like he wasn't a monster like Anthony Davis in Kentucky, but he was still a defensive presence in college. I know college, you know, leaps and bounds, but here you see him and like what I know is his Carl Anthony Towns just isn't focused on defense. And I don't know if it's a product of jumping to the NBA. He's not a focus. But then think about Sibs, and you you bring up that point as maybe the NBA has passed him by when it comes to that. And I was listening to a a podcast with Zach Lowe, and they spoke about that. They spoke about how they had you have Tom Thibodeau's system at the time. It was a good system. It was kind of like strong defense, top heavy. And I mean, you focus more on, you know, there's one player that's probably going to try to ISO more than others. I like Kobe Bryant, which was effective in 2007, 2008. But then now you have the Warriors, which is either high pick and roll, or we're just going to pick the mess out of you all throughout. Our guards are going to run picks with each other. And what's going on with that? And I mean, I look at his pieces besides Carl Anthony Towns. I look at some of the other players. And you want to know, they had another player, too, who right out of college, they're like, if this guy can't be anything else, he's going to be amazing on defense. Andrew Wiggins, all I heard was he's going to be great on perimeter defense. He has the length. He has the foot speed. I don't know what's going on. And, I mean, after a while, you do have to start looking at the coach. You can't just blame the players completely. That is something you do bring up a good point about. I mean, I think Andrew Wiggins has made steps, like – you know, I think it's more or less him getting his motor right, but he's still pretty defensively unaware. Like, like if, if his guy's, like, not in the action, I feel like he has a tendency to not be doing a whole lot and he can get back door cut and can get, uh, you know, ran through a screen that he's not suspecting because he's just he's just not – he get, gets caught ball watching. I mean, like, mm. it is it is tough to blame Tibbs for a completely bad defense because – I mean, but it, then again, you can't – you have to blame him because he's also the GM, and he's the one bringing in guys like Jamal Crawford. Bringing, oh, my gosh. And bringing in guys like Jeff Teague. Like, and he re-signed Gorgie Dang. Like, all these guys who are just not good at defense, and he keeps bringing them in. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I just I, – I, I can't understand what his thought process is to this because – if you want to be a defensive team, you need defensive players. Now he's – I mean, it's either supreme faith in his own coaching ability yeah. or lack of faith that he can't make people good at offense. <laughs> or, it, I mean, if that's a whole other topic, man. We could jump to that one too. Is I don't believe he can be a good GM and a good coach at the same time. I think that's something that is just too hard to do because of what both of the jobs demand. But I'm looking at it here. I mean, you're right. Some of the players he's signing – would you have would you have gone? And I know money issues, contract extension. Would you have kept Rubio instead of signing Teague? I mean, I I don't know because the thing about Rubio is he really bogs mm-hmm. you down in the final final minute of a game. Mm-hmm. But I think Tyus Jones could be your point guard if you add or adding a Jimmy Butler, like and in I terms mean, of closing games, and then you have your yeah. shooting that you need. So I would because I think for the rest of the game, Ricky Rubio's a better point guard than Jeff T. Jeff T can score a lot better, but Ricky Definitely. Rubio does so much on the defensive end. He doesn't really hurt you on offense in the first three quarters because he's not forced to shoot. Yeah, and you bring up a point about Tyus Jones. I don't know how much 
how much you've seen Timberwolves game. That's the question I want to ask you. How much of their games have you been able to see? I've been see- I've seen a little bit of every game they've played. I haven't. Yeah. I've only watched. I think it was the Spurs game and the first OKC game all the way through. But every other game I've watched the I've watched the whole game, but I've been watching other games in the process. I mean, because I've because I was just gonna say from what I've seen, um, Tyus Jones to me when he came in, I felt like he struggled a lot. But what I've seen is he can actually be a good professional player. Like uh-huh. He's not just a bum point guard you put in. Kind of like, I think, of, I don't want to call this guy a bum, because no NBA player to me is really a bum if they match the NBA. But I think about it like, like Joseph Young or Joe Young from the Indiana Pacers. This guy really just comes in the last minute. But for me, I'm thinking Tyus Jones can actually play quality backup minutes, and he can distribute, he can actually shoot. So if they keep developing him, developing him, where do you see him at as far as Tyus Jones? Where do you see him going? I think a player that I would relate him to is a, a Mario Chalmers, honestly. Mm. Um, and that's really high praise if you know about my uh, my Mario <laughs> Chalmers love. Um, think, about, think about Mario Chalmers and Tyus Jones the way I see it. Like, I don't think Tyus Jones is quite the uh, – like in terms of getting to the rim kind of player, but he I think he might be even better catch-and-shoot guy than, than uh, Chalmers ever was. But – I think he's a grinder on defense. Like Mario Chalmers at a young age was definitely a guy who got in your grill a little bit on the defensive end. Um, you can ask James Harden how, how his ankles feel when Chalmers started kicking him the other day. I mean, Tyus Jones, he's a little bulldog out there, and he can catch and shoot, and I like him a lot as a uh, as a professional point guard. Um, and like like when we, come, we circle full back to Tiger Rubio, I like the idea of having Rubio for the first three quarters and letting Tyus take over as a catch-and-shoot guy with Jimmy Butler, Carl Towns, and Andrew Wiggins running the show late in games. So that's my comparison. Mario Chalmers, Tyus Jones, uh, they're both playing with some elite talent. I think Mario Chalmers at, at his apex was still a little bit better, but he was also playing with a guy named LeBron James. So, I mean, it's okay. That he's yeah, a little yeah, bit better. yeah. So who else, who else on that bench stands out for you besides Tyus Jones? Is there any other guy that you're like, oh, you know what? Their bench isn't that bad. Um, I like Nandi Bielita a lot. Mm-hmm. I like his Ooh. ability to uh, to slide into a, a starter role if they wanted to focus more on the offensive end, if Carlton Towns could actually play defense. Because um, he's a really good catch-and-shoot guy. He shows some playmaking ability. I mean, I don't want to go, you know, a European uh, stereotypes. But, like, when I watch him play, he look, reminds me a little bit of a Hito Turgaloo and the way he – Nothing wrong with that. Nothing he wrong runs, with that. He, he can run a pick and roll. He's probably not quite as proficient as Hito Turgaloo, but he, he looks like a similar. He looks like a similar athlete. Good, mm-hmm. really good in the catch and shoot, and but like he shows some playmaking flashes, and like that, that's what I thought of when I saw him run a pick and roll with like a guy like a Gorgie Dang who can literally just catch and dunk. And that's that's a good comparison too. For those of you guys who don't know about Hito, go look him up in his prime. He was about a 6'10 forward. He wasn't just like your average like wing player. And he could handle the ball, and he ran the pick and roll pretty efficiently as well. Yeah. Like, and, you know, I think Hito is probably a lot better than Belitza is now, but yeah. I think I think that's the upside of, of Belitza. And, uh, you know, maybe he can get there if, uh, if he had a coach that uh, liked offense a little bit more. But, <laughs> um, you know, like we talked a little bit about this, but I didn't get to use my line. Um, as of – aspiring future GM, I'm hoping uh, Coach Tibbs sabotages Coach GMs for a generation Ooh. because I'm ready for the, these uh, these to be – for them to, there actually to be 30 GM jobs available um, in the NBA versus, you know, 27 or whatever with the Coach GM things. And, like, for me, honestly, like, it's, like I've said before, I'm on the position that you can't do both of them. 
to the best of your ability if you're splitting your time. Because with coaching, that's a full week job, preparing, looking at film, constantly practices. And with GM, you're constantly trying to stay a, a step ahead of your competition and trying to find out as far as how can I get better, I can improve the team. Go ahead, Ethan. I, I want to I use an example of the uh, Portland Trailblazers. All right. Um, because right now we have a they have a lot of like homegrown or like they acquired at a young age talent on their roster. When it, you can range from, you know, like a, a CJ McC- uh, McCollum who's turned into a, a superstar, a Damian Lillard, same thing, a Myers Leonard, not so much. Um, you know, they got Harkless in when he was still pretty young. They got Noah Vonley in when he when he was a second year player, and now they just drafted a guy named Collins and Swanigan. What I want to talk to you about with with this example is Terry Stotts is not the GM here. He is the coach. And when I look at a guy like uh, of Noah Vonley, who last year got yanked around in the rotation quite a bit, he's a young player that they acquired. But just because the GM liked him and thought he was worth trading for didn't mean that Terry Stotts wanted to use him. He was forced to develop his game. He wasn't just given the reins because the GM had faith in him. I look at a guy like Myers Leonard, who's hurt this year, but he's been in and out of the rotation his entire tenure, even though he was a top 15 pick. Like, all these things. Maybe he wasn't top 15, but he was he was a first-round draft pick regardless. Um, you see all these players who – the GM who's like, yes, I drafted This is my guy. Get him in the game. You know, CJ McCollum didn't really play a whole lot until his third season. Like – it's things like that that even maybe C.J. McCollum should have been playing more as a younger player, but having him ride the pine a little bit maybe gave him that extra motivation to like become the superstar that he is. Maybe he would have topped out at like what I think of a Jamal Crawford without it. You know, I, I look at all these things, and it's so important to have different opinions in the in the clubhouse and in the front office so that you don't just have a bunch of group thing happening. Because if everyone just thinks that someone needs to play and the coach just throws them out there because the GM wants them to, you're not developing that player. You're not doing them good uh, justice by sending them out in situations that they can't control. And, I mean, you're – I think you bring up a good point as far as it's always good to have a outside point of view. If you're the coach and the GM – you know, you're pretty much stuck in that kind of like tunnel vision as far as I only see the players like this, I only see my team like this. But sometimes you need someone else. And I know there can be – sometimes we see GM coaches argue, go their, go their separate ways when it comes to players. But it does help to have someone who has maybe a different way of looking at what your team has and where it is. So then I'm looking at the Timberwolves, looking at let's go to GM Thibs. Am I regretting the Jamal Crawford signing or am I saying let me give it more time? I mean, when it comes down to it, I guess it's not the worst thing. Like, I think the reason they signed him was because this team's supposed to be good at defense, and that's what can allow you to have an inefficient uh, shot chucker in your in your second line or m- mingling with your starters. But if this team's going to be bad at defense, which he's like maybe the worst defensive player on the team, no, no, that's probably Teague. I, I take that back. Um, yeah, he he can't. He, you can't be this inefficient when you're not surrounded by ultra efficient. And mm-hmm. when he was playing with the Clippers, playing with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and JJ Redick, all four of those players were ridiculously efficient in the way that they use their offensive games. Very and nice. he was able to be like a you know the, you know they were all the band aid for his uh, his wound on the offensive end because Jamal Crawford is as as fun as he is to watch and he'll always have the cred because he's like basically a street baller. He is not, he's not an 
I don't know how to say this without being a jerk, but he's not an effective NBA player anymore. He's just a guy who shoots. Yeah, and I mean, eventually, if you shoot 20 shots a game off the bench, of course you're going to get some points. That's just a, it's, it's a trend that's going to happen. And you're right. Like, right now, like, I've been, I've been a fan of Jamal Crawford's game. Like, growing up, I was a fan. But the more I got to understand basketball and the more I watched him, I'm just like, how oh, this guy gets so much playing time sometimes. And you kind of see what's going on, and you're like, man, this isn't going to end up good for any team. And I'm just struggling to see how how other people are going to pick up, how the other players. Like, Carl Anthony Towns, like, by now, like, I'm like, okay, he'll pick up the slack, but he hasn't. And this is what bothered me, Ethan. Like, right now I'm really bothered by the Timberwolves. And, and when we hit upon it, just briefly, is how Carl Anthony Towns could be so good on offense, have all the physical tools to be good on defense, but I call it defensive bum. That's right now where I'm at. Like, what do you think – if you're going to the mind of a player like that or you're talking to him, what do you think is going through his mind? What do you think is going on with him? Is there something wrong or is it just like he's not catching on with the NBA defense? I listened to uh, Nate Duncan's podcast and he's talked mm-hmm. about Carnegie Towns' defense quite a bit. And what it looks like to him and what it looks like to me is that he just doesn't want to be physical. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's if it's a uh, – if it's a thing about like not getting hurt, I don't that I know of. He hasn't had an injury issue. I think he's, he's pretty. He's pretty all, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's played all 82 games, both his his rookie and sophomore season. Super durable. But like I watch him when he's he's getting posted up. I watch him when like he's boxing out for rebounds. And even though he gets a lot of rebounds, like he gets moved around quite a bit. And as a seven footer with the physical tools he has, these things shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. Like. He's he's very laterally quick. He's very strong. I don't understand why he can't apply his body, but he also is not in the right position. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's coaching and someone not like if someone has to literally tell him. Um, I think it was Nate, Nate Duncan does also that said like when KG was there his rookie season that he was in he was a lot better defender. And I'm wondering if that is a parallel to you know just someone telling him where he needs to be all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know. Because you know I'm not in the, the, the their huddle, but mm-hmm. you know maybe that's what Taj Gibson's role is. But Taj Gibson's really a, de- a declining player, and he can't be on the court that often. And if, if Carlton Towns cannot contribute defensively, I begin I do begin to wonder like, well, what is his ceiling as a, as a you know best player on a team? Because I look at guys like you know of his his age group and and skill level, Giannis and potentially Joel Embiid, both those guys make a pretty big impact on the defensive end. Definitely. And that's one thing I'm just, I'm just looking at. I'm like, all right, all right. At some point, Carl Anthony Towns is going to get in. Like, and I've thought about the physical, and like, I think about some of the more physical centers he goes against. Like, I've seen him go down low against like a Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside, one to me, is one of the strongest centers in the NBA. Hassan Whiteside, and you see Carl Anthony Towns, like he'll get his. Like Carl Anthony Towns, so many nights I see him, like he'll get his points, but then on the other end, I see the opposing center will also get their points. So then when do you think, at what point do you think maybe Jimmy Butler comes in even and says like, hey, Carl Anthony Towns, this is what this is what you can do here. Do you think it takes a player like Jimmy Butler? Do you think it's going to have that effect or not at all? I mean, I think Jimmy Butler has to be the leader for this team, but I don't know mm-hmm. if that's going to help Cat on, on defense because mm. like from what I can see is 
like I'm going I'm going to take it to a guy like LeBron James. LeBron James came to Miami Heat team whose culture was built on defense, but it wasn't like we were in um, putting in bad defensive players and making them good. No, no, we like the Heat focused on defensive first. Like Joel Anthony was a starting center for the Heat, and Joel Anthony is probably one of the worst offensive basketball players I've ever seen. But he had an effective role for the Heat. <laughs> I'm sorry. He had an effective- <laughs> Joel Anthony is a very bad offensive player. I know. That's why I'm laughing because, like, you're so blunt about it. But the fact of the matter is he was able to play on a championship-level team mm-hmm. and be an effective player because he was so good at defense. Like, if you – like, when it comes down to it, at the end of games, he was a guy you could throw out there on a Dirk Nowitzki. You know, that didn't yep. work out in the end for that championship. Yeah. You know, we'll talk – we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> But he was a guy who got minutes for us and played a lot of effective minutes a whole season, and he was a durable guy. Like, Carl Anthony Towns is not Joel Anthony. He's yeah. like, he's more physically gifted. Like, I, it all comes back to this. Carl Anthony Towns is one of the most gifted seven footers to, to ever touch a basketball, probably. Again, like I did this with Demarcus Cousins. There's no reason he can't be this. There's no reason he can't be that. Carl yep. Anthony Towns has no reason he can't be really good at defense. Because, like, I look at myself as a guy who learned how to play offense in terms of pickup levels because I never had, like, a natural gift for scoring. It just kind of came with it, and now I can pass and all that kind of stuff. But my my trademark was always defense, and I'm still, even with a guy who can't jump, I'm still pretty good at blocking shots, you know, with people of my, you know, general size because I'm good at anticipation. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just something you have or you don't, and if you don't, I wonder what the ceiling is for a Carl Anthony Towns-led team because if you can't stop anyone at the rim, what's the point of being seven feet tall? And then I have a question for you. Would you rather have a player really great on offense but horrible on defense or really great on defense and horrible on offense? Which type of player would you have on your team? Well, see, when it comes – like when you're saying it like that, I would still Uh rather have the offensive player because then I can go find a defensive player. Like You know, like if you're telling me, okay, Ethan, you can have – Carnley Towns or Andre Robertson. Okay. Oh, I'm that's thinking. that's obvious. Yeah. yeah but Robertson is an elite, elite defensive player, right? Mm-hmm. No doubt. What I was like, but those elite defensive players have to can be your you can find them. But like if you're telling me mm-hmm. would I rather have an elite, elite offensive center or elite and a terrible defensive center, or would I rather have an elite, elite like Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, small forward, power forward combo? I'll take the small forward power forward combo and throw Never my late. bum defensive center. <laughs> Because I it, I've seen that work. Yeah, that's. I don't know if you can win with a a bum defensive center, like in terms of if you can't play defense, like you have to have yeah. someone mm-hmm. to get in the way. But by the way, guys, we talk all this about Carl Anthony Towns, but one thing everyone our listeners has to remember, he is only twenty two years old. That's the one thing he's he's he has ways to just grow and develop, and I think it could still happen. I think one player, I don't know, one player I kind of see that for me it's stuck. This is going to be one of the last points we talk about Timberwolves is Wiggins. I feel like I know who Wiggins is as a player, and his, his ceiling has almost has virtually been reached. Am I, can I expect anything else out of Wiggins, or is this it? Um, when it comes down to offensive field, I don't feel like he has it other than getting his own shot. 
So it's kind of if that's the case, he can get better at shooting, get better yeah. at finishing at the rim. But if he, like, I think he can still get better at defense. Like as much as we've been ragging on Cat and him for their lack of defensive prowess, mm-hmm. um, they both can get better. And like when I rag on Cat, it's because I expect so much more from him, not because I don't think he's great. And with Wiggins, like I just, I don't know. Like I, I don't know what he's gonna be. Like he's obviously an elite level scorer, but is he anything else? Like what else can he? I mean, I'm looking at his assist average. He's a career two assists per game guy. And I mean, this is going to sound bad. I think of guys who are known non-passers, more or less ball hoggers. Like, I think of all-timers. One player who's often compared to was Kobe. But at least Kobe can get you between, like, close to about five assists per game. Like, as much as ball hogging was, like, he, when he wanted to, he knew how to create. And, like, with Wiggins, like, I watch him. It's amazing to see him in person sometimes. When, when he's going ISO, it's amazing to see him. Like, his post move for a guy – who plays that position is great, but if I'm if I'm working on like all right uh, tonight Wiggins, I want you to create at least five six opportunities, maybe ten opportunities for your teammates. Is that going to happen? Is that not? I don't think I don't see it happening right now. Well, would it maybe a more apt comparison be like a Joe Johnson before his athleticism fell off? Yeah, like I mean, Joe Johnson, I feel like was a you know a, a, a black hole, but like you know provide a lot of scoring. Yeah, he'll give you twenty five like in his sleep. I saw yeah, Joe in his prime. Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe that's what I mean, Andrew Wiggins is just a slightly more athletic Joe Johnson. I wouldn't say slightly more. He's and well, Joe Johnson back in Phoenix Sundays. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to. He wasn't that athletic. Man. Oh, he wasn't that athletic back in Phoenix. Okay. I can't give you that one. I can't give you that okay, one. That's fine. We we can uh, agree to disagree. I like <laughs> Joe Johnson's athleticism. I, all right, I'll, I'll take it though. I mean, who am I kidding? I'm talking here. I'm not even that athletic, guys. I'm the guy who touched the rim once in his lifetime and thought it was the greatest moment ever, right? So that's where I'm at. All right. Well, honestly, though, I'm a, I'm done with the Timberwolves. But, Ethan, I have a question. And this is the obvious question because of the plays in, in which conference they're playing. Who's going to end up with the better, the better standing, the better record? I'm, I'm thinking, obviously, Wizards, in your opinion, is going to end up with the better record. Yeah, I think Wizards have the better record. Mm-hmm. I think by the se- end of the season, the Wolves could end up being the better team just because they do have more of those players that can take jumps. You know, T can still, mm-hmm. you know, be a – he could still take a jump offensively. Like, he could shoot even a better three-point percentage. He could get better at attacking the rim. And then Jimmy Butler has missed some games. And, and like, all the things we talked about, Andrew Wiggins and Cat, they could all make, you know, strides. Whereas the Wizards just basically be a wall – and maybe Marquise Morris, Porter, you know, like mm-hmm. all these other guys who are just not as likely to take these big steps. But yeah, I think the Wizards are going to win close to fifty games, if not yeah. more than fifty. Yeah. But by the way, I, um, Wizards are good. You took, you took the, uh, you took the under on the on the Wolves, right? There, uh, over I don't under was, what... it was forty-seven and a half over under. Well, I, I think like... I, I think I would have took the under, but I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 and I don't really want to go back and listen to myself talk about it, just in <laughs> case. <laughs> but who are the Timberwolves going against next? Oh, the Miami Heat. Hey. <laughs> but guess what? Hassan Whiteside is missing another game with the left knee contusion. So, so unfortunately, we will not have anyone to check Carl Anthony Towns. So do you think the Timberwolves are coming out? Just a little short preview for tonight's game. Timberwolves uh, going to get the win? I don't know what the spread is, but if the Wolves are not favored, pound it. And if they're favored by less than four, pound it. Mm. Because they are going to beat the Heat tonight. Well, that, you heard it here first. If But they probably like, won't hear that the game will probably be over because I don't think Richard's going to be able to edit it that fast. 
<laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. But I'm definitely done with uh, with the Timberwolves, with the Wizards. I enjoyed this preview, even though I felt like we ragged on these teams a little bit too hard at times. But I'm yeah, well, we we gotta be negative sometimes. I mean, we can't just give everyone the positive. I understand. Yeah, we, yeah. When we talk about the Magic, and I can talk about my boy Aaron Gordon finally, finally getting to play the position <laughs> he's supposed to play. Well, we'll be positive on that day. Let oh, me tell definitely. You. Oh, definitely. Especially when there's some there's some light at the end of the tunnel for that team. Yeah, I, I really hope so, and I hope Frank Vogel has success there too. Oh, for sure. Anyway, Elkin, it's been a pleasure. I'll talk mm-hmm. to you next time. All right. Hello again, podcast pals. I just want to give you a quick little preview. We're going to have on Sergio Francisco to talk to our boy Richard about his favorite team, the Chicago Bulls. So, and anyone, anything else they might want to talk about. So I really hope you enjoy this uh, first fan interaction with the podcast. And hopefully if you guys are interested in coming on the podcast, we can work out a time for you. But Sergio has been the most uh, interactive fan on the, on the Facebook page. And we wanted to give him a little reward for his, his time. So enjoy. Hey guys, so this is Richard, and uh, I'm here with one of our biggest listeners, biggest supporters on the podcast, uh, Sergio Francisco. We're welcoming him on as a special guest for this episode, and Sergio, how you doing? Rich, I am excellent, man. Uh, Lincoln, Nebraska is doing me some good. I mean, I finally made it out of Berrien. Oh my gosh, Berrien, my bad. So, yeah. Goodness. It's been, it's been so, great. <laughs> so w- w- what's it like in Nebraska right now? Is, is, is it warm? Is it cold? I'm out in California, so it's always warm here. You know, Nebraska is kind of just as bipolar as Michigan. Like last week it was really cold, but now like this week it's been nice. So, I mean, I know that winter is coming though. So I'm just <laughs> anticipating that for sure. Gotcha. So, yeah, lot, lots of up and downs there, I guess, in the weather in Nebraska. And also with kind of where we're going and talking about today, we're going to talk about your Bulls, your Chicago Bulls. And so, uh, Uh, man, I guess we should start at the beginning with the Jimmy Butler trade. So uh, tell me, Sergio, when you heard that the Jimmy Butler trade was final, you know, that was your player. How did you feel? I mean, what can I say? I mean, Jimmy gets buckets, so... (laughs) For him leaving, that was obviously sad. But then when I saw what we got in return, I was even a little bit more sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm like, oh, mercy. I mean, like, honestly, when when we were drafting, I honestly wanted them to draft Chris Dunn over Portis. So, I mean, that was cool. And then, obviously, Levine is a really dynamic player. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't terribly happy with it but i mean Mm -hmm. i'm glad that jimmy's on minnesota now and he could probably get a ring out there at some point yeah he'd be back out there with tibbs so you know that's a good connection there but yeah yeah. oh yeah and taj gibson yes we got like a mini bulls reunion over there with with some of those youngsters yeah man for when i when i saw this trade um i didn't like it obviously i know it had to happen because you know you weren't going anywhere with the current construct Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys really wanted Dunn back. Like you, you mm-hmm. wanted him before you were trying to trade for him a year before. And then yeah. so, so you're finally able to get him. You draft Markinen, and you got Zach Levine. Now, for me, Zach Levine, 
you know, he's really athletic, but the problem is right now he's out. He's out for who knows how long. I don't know if we'd have a time frame for when he's coming back. Right. And and this is this is his last year, like this is his last year of his contract. And so after this year, you're gonna have to make a decision on whether to pay him or not. And and so Yeah, I, oh, as, man. like from what I've been reading, it sounds like they're gonna pay him. Um, Goodness. how okay. much we'll see, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, man. Well, well, how have you felt about how? Because I mean, all of this goes to your decision makers, you know, Gar Foreman, John mm-hmm. Paxson. How are you feeling about how they've been dictating, like how they've been, I guess, doing their job? I mean, you see the current Bulls roster. Uh, how, what, what would you, <laughs> what grade would you give them as far as, you know, running the team? Oh, man, I have been like a disgruntled fan of of the front office as of late. Um, Personally, I would probably give them a C minus or even even a D like that. Like a D is okay. I think like I think that's the best grade I can give them is a D because Mm -hmm. um, obviously, like I understand that Jimmy, like he wanted to go and. I mean, we I mean we did pay him, so that that's hurts a little bit in the long run. But I mean, when you're rebuilding, you got to make the hard choices. So I understand that aspect, but we'll see, we'll see. I so, mean, so what would so you you're giving them a D? I know there's probably other people out there who would give them an F. What 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 makes you? Say all right. Well, it's not an F. They they get some credit for something. What what credit would you give them? As the credit is that like obviously yeah. since they're in a rebuild, they have three young stars that they can build on for the future. And okay. if we go like full tank mode, I mean, who knows? We could be the next Sixers. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So 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 you got marketing, all right? And um, for for. Markin and obviously he's the guy who you're who the main part the main thing you've gotten back from the Jimmy Butler trade is you get Markin all right so yep. he's he's the guy going forward obviously if you tank this year there's some good players that are going to be at the top of next year's draft I mean mm-hmm. uh, we're not going to get into the draft yet but you know yeah I know that's, like, that's premature <laughs> yeah. like but but guys like Luka Doncic over like he's he's ridiculous if if you if listeners out there if you get an opportunity YouTube some Luka Doncic videos because he's he's destroying some people out there uh in Europe any anyways uh, so you guys have marketing you guys can get a high draft pick this year who else would be the guys who you say all right this these are part of this is part of our team going forward who, who would be those other guys it would definitely be Chris Dunn and Levine. I think those three are the future of the Bulls. Okay. So now I, I notice you didn't mention Bobby Portis and Nikolai Miritich. So um, I mean, Ooh, after <laughs> after I mean after what happened with them as a Bulls fan, you know, opening night's about to begin. There already was some depression amongst Bulls fans because you no. Know, we don't. We have Markin, and at that point, you didn't know Markin. And I mean, he's come out and played well, and we'll talk about him in a second. But I mean, to start mm-hmm. opening night with Bobby Portis knocks out Miritich and breaks bones, and it's like, talk to me about that. When I got that update, I was honestly in shock. I probably probably more shocked than the Butler trade, honestly. I mean, for you to break a dude's face and <laughs> give him a concussion. 
And for that nice. same dude to be on your team, wow, wow. I mean, yeah. Like I understand, like if it's if it's like a scrum and you put like a Ron Artest on that fan, but I mean, no, not your own teammates. I mean, oh my goodness, that was that yeah. was crazy. Yeah, I like I was I was reading up on it before 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 recording right now, and I was reading that right now since he's not cleared since he has not cleared concussion protocol yet. They can't even like do stuff for the broken bones that he has in his face. Nope. Like they can't, they can't do anything until he clears that. And yeah. so right, I, right now I'm just imagining, uh, you know, Miritich, you know, sitting there just looking terrible because I don't know, man. And and that, now his future's up in the air. What's going to happen with him? What's going to happen with Portis? Do you want either one of those guys in your locker room? So the biggest news of today, we were talking about it before we started recording, was that. Um, at this point, Mirotic, he said that like he wouldn't veto a trade if like one was in the works. Um, and so, yeah, if if one of them had to go, though, I would say it had to be Portis. I mean, even if you release him and get nothing back, I, I think that would be the move because I think Mirotic, he's a really, really prolific scorer. I mean, for being like a really tall white guy, I mean. He's he's incredible in my mind, and then mm-hmm. then like the beard helps a lot as well. Right, yeah. It gives for, those who powers. For, for those who don't know, Sergio is here with a huge beard, so he he believes in the power oh, yeah. of the beard. Yes, Harden, myself, and Miritich, Yes, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, but so yeah, you would rather get rid of Portis and keep Miritich, but like the, what it looks like, it's it almost like from a team standpoint, if you're young. You probably don't want to be having like I mean obviously I don't know all that happened but you don't want to be mm-hmm. having your teammates wanting to punch other teammates and so you right. want to probably get rid of Portis but it seems as though you know Miritich is saying you can trade me and mm-hmm. maybe I'll go somewhere else uh, once he's able to come January but yeah it's an interesting situation and I mean the rest of your roster there's one bright spot though like so the way I like to look at rosters is is this. How many people on your current team could take someone like think think of the last finals we had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cleveland versus Golden State? How many people from your team could go and take the spot of someone on the one of those two teams and actually add something to to one of those teams? The only person that I could see right now at this moment is someone we haven't mentioned yet, and Robin Lopez. Like if you gave. If you put Robin Lopez in the Zaza role out there, oh my goodness! I think that he like he's someone who I see as adding value, and yes. I wonder, you know, it's a, I wonder if if you know, come January or February, uh, you know, before the trade deadline, if he's not a person that the Bulls try to unload because you know, you guys may be in tank mode by then, mm-hmm. and I don't know. To me, he seems like the most ideal person to trade because he seems well to me to be the best player currently on your team. And he doesn't really fit the timeline of marketing or anything. I agree. I agree. And actually I was also reading that he is the ultimate like veteran I've heard like by most, like it's just widely known amongst the league that he's just a super, super good teammate. So he can like basically fit in any system. So if if we were able to make something happen with him, that would be great. Um, and I wish him the best because obviously he's great on the boards. And, I mean, he can make the occasional, like, put back and dunk. 
So, but yeah, I mean, that'd be the good piece to trade and maybe get something back for him. Yeah, he's, I mean, he totally killed the Celtics last year on the boards during that playoff series. Oh, absolutely. And, and he, he just, he gets so many boards to the great screener. He, you know, he's not only limited to the restricted area. He, he can step out and and make a shot if, if asked. And so I think, you know, yes. he's the type of player yes. who could be there. I don't think Markin's there yet, but, you know, let's talk about Markin. Uh, what have you seen from him in these first few days obviously as a bulls fan you probably have some bias towards him but what, what have you seen well i mean for a seven foot like 20 year old out of finland he is shooting lights out i mean i was watching highlights of the cleveland game and i was like i was like okay i see you i see you laurie mm-hmm. Um, like, and actually I was looking up his stats and right I think, now, I think he got nine, I think he got 19 in that game, I, I believe. Yeah. And Something, I he even like had 18 or 19. Yeah. He had, he, I think he even had to like guard LeBron a little bit. And after the game, LeBron, you know, they were, you know, Cavs beat the Bulls, but you know, in post game, they asked questions about, you know, the opposing team and, and the question LeBron was asked mm-hmm. was about, um, about marketing and you know he had some positive things to say he said you know he's he's a good player and you know coming from lebron you know some positive comments like that from your rookie year i mean it's got to be something that you know you can really i mean if it's coming if it's coming from you sergio you're a bulls fan but if it's coming from lebron i you know there's right. there's a little bit of added credibility there too uh, to that. So it's not just Bulls bias. You know, he actually had a good game against uh, Exactly. Like I I read the quote after the game and it said that he actually watched him back when he was in Arizona and he calls okay. him a very confident player. So, and that's high praise from the King, you know? Yeah. And that, that's what you need. Like for, if you're a rookie in marketing's role, you need that uh, confidence. Otherwise, uh, you know, I, I've seen some, some big guys who are supposed to be able to shoot and then can't like, I'm thinking about um, John Luer for us. Like last year, he, he couldn't make a shot and he lost confidence, but, Mm-hmm. You know, if if Markin can keep his confidence, you know, I think that I think that he could he could make some some noise. Yeah. So before tonight's game, he's averaging sixteen point three points and then forty five and a half percent from three point range, and then nine rebounds per game. And he's playing thirty four minutes a night. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if he can keep that up, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean that that's good. One of the big concerns for him coming out was his lack of rebounding. His rebounding numbers were really bad. So getting nine boards, you know, I mean obviously that's a stat, you know, we're just looking at the stat sheet, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's those are numbers that you would expect out of a power forward. And especially being from a guy who shoots further from further away. I mean, I don't know how many of those are offensive, but um, you know, I think that that's a reasonable number to expect especially from your rookie year. And especially if you have someone like Robin Lopez getting yes. the rest of those rebounds. Yeah. And one thing that, like, he got a knock on, like, in his draft stock was his defense. And I read up that he's actually only committing two fouls a game, which is crazy for a big man, like, who's a rookie. Like, usually rookies who are, like, younger and just, like, new to the league, they, they commit, like, a ton of fouls. So for him mm-hmm. to be only – Averaging two, I mean, even though his defense is still atrocious, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Cleveland had 116 points. or yeah, they, they, they were in the high 
you know, 110s or whatever there. So mm-hmm. obviously that's not all on him, but not a whole lot of defense going on probably from, from him. But, you know, he's a rookie. And so if, if um, and he when they brought him in, you hope that he develops some defense, but you brought him mm-hmm. in because of his shooting and his offense. And forty, yep. you know, shooting above 45%, if he can do that consistently over the course of the year, a lot of value there. And I, I think mm-hmm. that would be that'll be good for him going forward. And he actually broke the record, which of uh, like for most three pointers within a three game oh, yeah. span, which was Kevin Durant's right. record before. Yeah, and you might expect that you know someone in today's NBA is going to probably be shooting and making more three pointers than than you know in past years. But you know, you're you're breaking Kevin Durant's record. You know, if you're if you're breaking Kevin Durant's record, that's a good thing. You know. And so, yeah, exactly. Uh, only, only positive things um, coming out for uh, from the Bulls camp about Laurie Marketing. About other things, not so much. But uh, for you Laurie know, Marketing, it's okay. Like I think he's the one benefiting the most from like the Portis Mirotic fight. True, because I mean, he's getting all those minutes. Yeah, true. I mean, both those guys are power forwards. Obviously, you may shift one of them around, but he, he's getting extended runs, so may, maybe a little bit of silver lining. In that whole catastrophe, I suppose. Yeah, I mean it's bad, but I mean, marketing is lining it up so far. So, mm-hmm. well, before we get out of here, Sergio, one more question, and um, and then you can take us out with the Hero Ball uh, quote. But uh, what are your predictions as far as win totals for the Bulls this year? How many wins do they get to out of eighty-two? Oh my gosh! Okay, hopefully as little as possible because. I want them to <laughs> right <change>. now, I <laughs> mean, as as of this recording, uh, you guys, I know you guys were right in the middle of a game with the Hawks, but before before that game, you guys are zero and three, so well on your way to trying to get that to get that uh, number one pick in the last season of the old lottery system. So, yep. Good luck with that, Sergio. And why don't you go ahead and, and take us away with the hero ball quote? Let us know who's saying it, and uh, go ahead and give it to us. We'll do, and. Uh, since it's Thursday, I think I do a little bit of a throwback from one of the league's greats, uh, Sir Charles, a.k.a. Charles Barkley. And so this is a throwback quote from him, and it says, These are my new shoes. They're good shoes. They won't make you rich like me. They won't make you rebound like me. They definitely won't make you handsome like me. They'll only make you have shoes like me. That's it. <laughs>